Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is Friday, baby. April 21st, 2023. Dave Neal here, stand-up comic, host of Bachelor Nation News. So much to talk about here on the Bachelor Rush Hour. 7 a.m. waking up in the morning, gotta be fresh. That's right, we are jamming out to the 11-year-old song Friday by Rebecca Black. It has garnered 165 million views on YouTube, and why not keep crushing it today on the channel? So much to get into. We've got an exclusive interview with Love is Blind alumni. We're going to get to that right after Bachelor Nation News. Let's start it off on the Rush Hour. Friday, gotta get down on Friday. Yes, we are. We're getting down on Friday. All right, folks, I hope you're having a fantastic day coming home from work on the Rush Hour podcast. Entertainment news, we have it all in one place. Can you believe some things going on out there in Bachelor Nation? Sean Lowe rehomes family dog after a head bite sends six-year-old son to the ER. Uh, the son is okay, had to get a staple in the head. Don't want to be doing that on a Friday. And um, the dog was uh, rehomed to the trainer's home where gets to live with a pug so life goes on for the dog the bull mastiff there but scary story right there So we're very excited to talk to Nick Thompson today and Jeremy Hartwell. They uh, We're going to get into that interview in a minute. It's about 30 minutes long. We'll start that in about five to eight minutes. So if you want to fast forward to the Love is Blind interview, you can just go check that out right now. But I did want to give you a quick clip from Caitlin Bristow's Off the Vine podcast. Interviewed Genevieve Parisi, our cousin of the show, and Rachel Recchia, former bachelorette. She's single now, apparently, and ready to mingle. Uh, she was asked whether or not she would go on the show plus genevieve commented on her thoughts uh of uh her ex aaron and his now official hard launch with his new girlfriend let's have a listen to what uh they're saying maybe the sinking titanic that being bachelor and the dwindling ratings have a listen or is it i don't know well survive. it is because i That's feel like the franchise might be sinking a sinking ship i, I mean, don't know i don't know wait would you go on paradise rachel are you going on paradise? Oh my god, we're just going on paradise. No. Oh my god. Oh my god, you heard it. I don't know. I think there's definitely just, oh, you, you know, something to think about in the yeah. future, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm still in the same spot. Yeah. Um, so who knows? 
What if it happened with you and freaking Avon? Why was I rooting for that so hard? And then I nothing know. Came of it's, it. it's crazy because I feel like it was sort of this like big thing. I mean, even for me, like it was just a shock. Yeah. But we ended up like having a really long talk. It's actually funny. I think we talked the day I left here. Really? Yes. I left. And then I remember we talked that night. But we now, just. Of course, Avon uh, was surprising Rachel after uh, the show tried to publicly humiliate Tino. It was my belief that this show accidentally brought Avon out while Tino was, was still on stage. But after speaking with some people that were in the know, and by in the know, I mean there, they tell me that the show knew exactly what they were doing and that's why they had Avon uh, sort of confront uh, or or hug Rachel and ask her out on a date right in front of Tino. The audacity. Well, speaking of other drama and Bachelor news, here's what Genevieve has to say. That was paradise. We need the, that the Louis on the jungle bath one oh, more time. Oh we, God, need, we need a lot of things from you. Uh, we like need, what else? We need your thoughts on... <laughs> Like what, like else, what else do you We want? need your thoughts on this new relationship of your ex that he just went public with. Are you like oh, in yeah. a place where you're like, great, I hope he's happy. Or are you like, motherfucker? No, I do. Honestly, great. I'm glad he's happy. Oh, I I really- there it is, folks. Genevieve, glad Aaron is happy. Yeah, that's right. We are barrel scraping. Not much in the news. I'm going to jump two minutes into the podcast and hear what their thoughts are about Paradise, which, believe it or not, will start filming in the next several months. Uh, there'll be contestants from Charity Season, which will be airing. And, uh, of course, we've got all-stars like Genevieve Parisi and, um, you know, the speculation that uh, Rachel might show up. Why not? Why not show up? I mean, you're single if you are. Go on there and get that money. Beans, which is really freaking cool. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, I'm interested though. Okay. You don't have any crushes on, I mean, if Not you're going to really. go in paradise, you kind of got to stay in the the bachelor bubble of crushes. Right. But I think the thing is, if I ever went to paradise, I would have to go down just like completely open-minded. Yeah, I agree. Like if I went down with like, I really like this person, yeah. I just know the way I am. And I feel like it wouldn't be a, like a good environment for yeah. me. I would have to really go down and be like, I'm going to talk to whoever and yeah. give them like a chance in a way, even yeah. though like everyone there would probably be already my ex-boyfriend. So that really is <laughs> like giving me a great start <laughs> if well, that were to ever happen. But that's going to wean out the ones you already know are bad news. It's great. I don't even that's think true. they're bad news. Like, oh my gosh, I love some of them. Like there's some oh, from true. my season. I can't wait. Doesn't mean you want to have sex with paradise. them now. Right, you know I just I mean? want to see them, them like, in a relationship. I want to see them find love. So many of my oh guys. Oh my god, they're Wait, so great. Wait, who from your season do you still feel like you have like that love and respect for that you oh want to see so happy? Many. Well, I first of all love Tyler. Yeah, me and Whoa. Tyler have kept in touch. Oh, that's great. So great. I would love to see him go back. Yeah, honestly, um, Jordan V. Which is so funny. I sent him home on my first one-on-one. Yes. Oh, Now, Jordan V, he's the race car driver. He's a gorgeous man. My thought was, and Rachel, feel free to dispute this, that she sent him home because he was short. Oh, man. Now, listen, short guys may finish last on The Bachelor, but they may finish first on the racetracks. I, I'm not a height king myself. I'm, 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 you know, five foot 10, 11 on a good day. If I've done yoga, maybe I can, you know, stretch out an extra half inch on the spine. But uh, I couldn't think of anything else wrong with, with him there other than he wasn't uh, six foot two. Everyone wants a six foot two man until they get in their 30s. And they're like, you know what? Those five foot nine guys aren't too bad. Yes, Owen people loved him. Mm -hmm. Yes. He has been like one of the only that throughout the entire season just was like, I'm so happy for you. Like, he seems like an angel baby. Oh my gosh, the girl who gets him, like, 
I'm so excited. Uh-huh. He's so sweet. Oh, he will for sure be there. Oh, I hope I'm so. Sure. I, I hope mean, him. He was like one of those grocery store Joe moments where everyone was just like rooting for him yeah. going home like early. Right. I know. He was so <laughs> great. Meatball, I want to see. Oh, meatball. I love meatball. Like, I just want to scream. All right. So they just go through the list of who they hope to see on Bachelor in Paradise. You can catch that full interview on uh, Off the Vine podcast with Caitlin Bristow. I will be doing a recap of that on my YouTube channel if you want to check out my extensive recap. Now, for those that are just here for the Love is Blind news, let's get to it. I had the great pleasure to interview these two gentlemen who are doing the Lord's work, as we'll call it, by speaking up about their mental health issues that come from the show. Now, look, it's one thing to be on a dating and reality TV show. It's another to understand what goes in and and what they talk about with Love is Blind can also be spoken about for Bachelor, Bachelor in Paradise, the sleep deprivation. uh, It's explained um, beautifully by Jeremy how the mind very quickly loses its ability for rational thought. So we watch these shows and go, how could so-and-so say that about so-and-so? Well, Well, it's just chemistry. It's chemistry of the mind, folks. It's the way the body works. And uh, the show, they know what they're doing, just like a good cult knows what they're doing, just like an interrogation officer, you know, a police officer, a detective knows how to interrogate someone. They know how to manipulate the, the, the human condition to get them to maximize drama and do and say regrettable things. And that's why it's important for us to have a little compassion out there while we watch, because it is a tough journey. I want you guys to really listen to this with an open heart, and uh, let me know what y'all think. There's going to be a link in the description of this podcast if you would like to donate to their cause or support by sharing my Instagram reels that cover the topic or follow them on Instagram. Plenty of different ways you can support. We will get to that full interview right after a word from our sponsors. Ladies and gentlemen, so excited today to have this conversation. Jeremy Hartwell is a season two cast member of Love is Blind and founder of the Unscripted Cast Advocacy Network. And Nick Thompson, also season two alumni of Love is Blind and a mental health advocate. Nice to talk to you guys today. Hey, nice to talk to you. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, I'm just so excited here. Obviously, Love is Blind just finished its fourth season, and it looks like, uh, Jeremy, you just launched this network. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, we did just launch the UCAN Foundation, and that stands for Unscripted Cast Advocacy Network. And I say we because Nick uh, has been instrumental in helping me stand this up. So He's part of the founding board. And our mission really is to just have a see a future where reality TV is produced and distributed without the exploitation and the abuse, right? Um, where cast members uh, are afforded the same protections that you would get in any other industry, um, even just scripted television, right? We, we want to see entertainment produced in an ethical way that supports cast members' mental health and doesn't make them feel vulnerable and exposed. That's Yeah, that's it's yeah, so yeah. great. And, and I've been talking about this for so long. I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild for 15 years. If somebody smokes on set or if it rains, there's always a pay increase. You're taking care of meals at six hours, uh, breaks at certain times, double pay after 9 p.m. All these things exist. At what point, uh, Nick, did you feel like, because uh, like, you became, a, did you become a mental health advocate because of your time on the show or were you already exploring um, mental health beforehand? So my uh, mental health journey started about six years ago um, when I realized I wasn't happy and I was, um, you know, very short fused and I was very, 
um, just un, unsettled in, in my life. And so as I started getting the opportunity, I started seeing a therapist. I still see her today. As I started that mental health journey and I started to learn some of the, the things that I needed to do to you know, help manage my depression and put structure around my day so that um, you know, I, I don't have these, these feelings of like, what am I doing right now um, to put boundaries around people and in relationships that weren't really beneficial to me. And so as I went on, this is something I started sharing with more people in my network, um, you know, prior to the show. And I wanted to share, Hey, I have experienced so many benefits from therapy. So I want to share it with other people. And then going through the show was it's complete was a complete disconnect from what I was um, expecting in a sense. Um, but going through this and seeing how many people, I mean, living my situation and seeing how many people were suffering the whole time, it really kind of made me realize like, oh, I may have had a, a nice, healthy, mentally strong circle of people, but there's a lot of people out there that haven't had that luxury that I've had to, to do six years of therapy. So I want to like share things that I've learned. I want to help connect people. Um, and then, you know, in the, in the reality TV space, I want to bring people in and let them know like they're not alone. I mean, this is such a, it's such a traumatizing experience. And I don't believe anyone who says they weren't in some way traumatized from going through any reality TV experience. So I just want to bring these people together and I want to advocate for them and I want to advocate with them so that we can all get the mental health support that we deserve before, during, and after a show. Yeah, it seems like the main recipe for reality TV is to put humans into situations that um, that squeeze out as most drama as possible, which is the same thing that cults do, right? They sleep deprive you and they do all these other tools removing from your social media and your friend groups. Jeremy, we talked before we went on air here, but can you explain some of like maybe the science of what's actually going on when you're in these pods on the show? Yeah, and um, I, I say this with a disclaimer that I'm not a scientist, um, <laughs> but I, I am like, I, I am very nerdy about this stuff, right? I have a deep passion for understanding human motivation and behavior from a biological perspective, from a neuroscience perspective, right? So when you look at some of these things that they were doing, um, it's deliberately for the psychological manipulation. And I want to highlight the sleep deprivation, right? But this goes hand in hand with all the other deprivation tactics, the food deprivation, um, the control over our ability to even use the bathroom, right? Without, without asking somebody first. So, but going back to the sleep deprivation, um, there's kind of like two main areas of your brain for the purposes of this conversation. It's obviously more complex than this, right? But you have the prefrontal cortex, which is kind of like your rational decision-making center of your brain, right? It's kind of like a filter. So when you have an impulse, it gets in the way and it says, hey, maybe tone that back a little bit, or there are societal norms, or this isn't acting in your own best interest, right? Underneath that, you have the amygdala. And that's your more like, that's the older part of your brain. that's really just reactive, emotional, impulsive, right? Normally, when you get enough sleep, um, your prefrontal cortex it intercepts an impulse and it makes a rational decision based on what's in your best interest and based on what you control, right? Very quickly, even after one night of sleep deprivation, you lose about 80% of that filter. And so your amygdala is just getting total control over your actions. So instead of like creating rational decisions, you're being reactive, you're being emotional, you're doing things that you don't necessarily have control over, right? And this is why sleep deprivation is, and I'm not saying we were interrogated, right? But this is why sleep deprivation is used as a tactic in interrogation, because you can't control what you're saying or you're doing, and you become much more open to manipulation 
And that's exactly what, you know, again, I, I can't prove that they're actively doing any of this, right? But it, it it doesn't take a lot of speculation to understand, like, look, if you're putting people in these ridiculous situations of getting proposed to someone after two weeks of not seeing them, that's just insane, right? You you have to create situations and environments that takes otherwise rational people and has them do irrational things while they're feeling like they're rational and in control, right? And I think that's the key. Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're so dead on. And Love is Blind obviously labels itself as an experiment, but it really talks about the experiment of not being able to see the person you're falling for. But the experiment really is you are, are the guinea pigs as they sort of mess with you in this environment that just wouldn't be conducive to a normal, what a normal tribe would be. It seems to me the hard, one of the hardest things with the mental health struggle must be that audiences don't get a chance to empathize with you. They don't know what you're going through. And the common response we'll get on this video from somebody is, hey, you guys knew what you were signing up for. So Nick, what's the response to people that say, hey, you asked for this? <laughs> Funny you should say that because I'm going to put together a social media post about this um, today. So this will be tying in very well. Um, when someone says you signed up for this, do you know what I signed up for? I signed up for a love experiment. I signed up for everybody um, being there for the right reasons. Um, I signed up for uh, normal living conditions. Um, I signed up for the ability to eat food and drink water because I guess we take those things for granted here in a civilized country that those are just guarantees. Um, I understand sleeping would, you know, would be a little bit different, but I didn't understand the isolation that took place. I definitely don't think everyone was there for the right reasons. And, you know, because I had been in therapy too, for so long, my therapist was like, I like the show's concept. I don't know if reality TV is for you, because you're, you know, you've done so well at like being reflective and not reacting and being responsive and, you know, removing people that aren't good for you in your life and shedding them and all of this stuff. And she actually spoke with the psychologist that did my psych evaluation because she had a few questions that she wanted to ask about like how they were basically qualifying people or evaluating people before she gave me a blessing to go on the show. So that's what I signed up for. I didn't sign up for starving. I didn't sign up for losing 15 pounds in the first three weeks. I didn't sign up for getting a migraine because of lack of water and lack of sleep. And um, I didn't even drink that much on the show because I was well aware of what that would do um, given the situation. So that, that's not what I signed up for. I signed up for a love experiment that was sold to me basically with a, a bill of goods. Yeah. And uh, Jeremy, last summer, you actually sued the production company, Kinetic. And, and I think, what, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but the main issue was the fact that while they do pay you, you are working so many hours, it barely comes out to minimum wage. Can you explain that side, the financial side of like being exploited? Yeah. And so I just want to be clear that I'm not uh, commenting on the status of the lawsuit or anything that's outside of what's already made publicly available. Right. And, um, you know, what we're trying to do with UCAN is distinct and separate from the lawsuit for a couple of different reasons. But having said that, um, you know, the lawsuit was filed because there's good evidence that um, we we were not provided what we were legally required to be provided for as employees. And 
the way that they tried to get around this was classifying us as contract laborers. Um, and if you read the contract, it's kind of framed like that. But that, you know, there's a there's a there's a law in California called AB5, which basically says like okay, there's a three part test that you have to use to be able to classify um, employees as contract laborers. And you have to meet all three of these criteria. Um, if you look at that test, as the cast members of this show, we didn't even meet one of those, right? And so that's sort of where the lawsuit, you know, came from. And again, I'm not going to comment on where that's going or where that is right now. But, you know, I, I will say that they filed W-2s on our behalf to the IRS, um, which means that to the IRS, they admitted we were full-time employees while calling us contract laborers. Yeah, and it's interesting because there there is a the mental health aspect, the the basic human rights you want while you're on the show, along with the proper compensation. We're talking about one of the largest dating shows in the world here, and we know Netflix will pay fifty million dollars for a stand up special. There was six plus million people that were trying to get into the Netflix finale. They're making mm -hmm. and printing a ton of money here yeah. and exploiting in the well, process. So I just, I just had over eight. $8 billion last quarter they made. And that's a bad quarter. But yeah. They made $8 billion in revenue. They would have made more, but yeah, I, I steal passwords from my mom. I'm fighting the good fight here. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I cracking down on that. I, I trace some financial breadcrumbs. And by Netflix's own metrics, they make about 80 to $90 million per season of Love is Blind. Yeah, and it seems like Netflix, it, they're, they're the platform. They probably don't care as long as they feel like it's legal what Kinetic is doing. Yeah. Uh, like I said before about the Screen Actors Guild, it was created because actors were being exploited. They were all driving out like nearly 100 years ago, right, to L.A. to be a part of, to, be, to become famous, to be something, and they were expendable. And, uh, and mm -hmm. don't you know, no offense, but reality TV stars go through a huge process with a lot of people that they can be they're chosen from in, in, in a lot of cases if they feel like you're speaking up for yourself you might not even make it to the show or they might edit you out or or something like that and we know jeremy you uh, were there for the first week and i know that kinetic's response to you their statement was something like um well we don't know what his motives are but he wasn't he was only there for a week as if your mental health in a, in a week of your time wasn't worth anything you know as as if it wasn't worth uh the basic conditions that you would hope that you would have um, so how can, how, how do you plan on helping, uh, reality, uh, in people that work in unscripted TV in the future, uh, w whether it be negotiating contracts or what, how can, how can you guys help them? So that's a great question. And what we're trying to do here with the UCAN foundation is give people the resources to fill the gap that is clearly missing from reality TV cast members and reality TV production. And in that, like our goal and our, our vision is to make sure everyone has mental health support pre to prep, during and post. It's to help them review their contracts so that they understand what they're actually getting into. It's to provide assistance in understanding what their rights are and what is, is legal. And Jeremy talks about this often where just because something's in a contract doesn't make it legal. So just helping them understand their rights, build this network of cast members that's almost like a group of people um you know in a support system or in a community that have been through something similar because what's so difficult about this is yes reality stars are a dime a dozen dozen these days but we don't all talk to each other some people do but like we don't all come together and and realize like hey we've been exploited we've been mistreated no one cares so just getting that group of cast together and then in the event of legal uh, support, or in the event of a dis 
dispute, we want to be able to support with um, or give legal support to these people as well. Because, I mean, I could get sued. Uh, how am I going to go up against Netflix and Kinetic? Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like absolutely. I, it's awful. We've been following Blake Horseman of Bachelor, mm-hmm. and he was he lost a yeah. $175,000 lawsuit. Luke, um, uh, another another cast member, Luke P., uh, lost $120,000. And all they were trying to do was defend their character. And some could argue that the $175,000 that Blake lost was actually worth it because he, he wouldn't have a career because he was being uh, shamed and canceled. And um, how... The contracts essentially let the production companies do whatever they want with your likeness. They can stitch together edits and things like that. How can how can cast members or potential cast members trust that they're that they're not gonna you know have their name demolished un uh, unwillingly? Well, that's the thing. Well, you you really can't because they can put together whatever story they want to. Um, I have heard. Um, from another, I'm not going to name it, but another cast member that um, they like used words out of context. I've heard this from a few actually. Now that I think back, so they'll take words that you said in another scene and then put up, you know, show a different angle and then put it in in that scene. So like you're you're like manipulating reality to tell whatever preconceived narrative that's been constructed by these the these producers and. From my perspective, like that's incredibly damaging to a person and it makes you question reality. You're basically getting gaslit when you watch that show or watch any of these shows. And the fact that they can do all this without any ability for you to defend yourself or ability for you to uh, clear the air after they've literally lied, I think that's just awful. And people should be more comfortable and step up more so that we can start to make some of this change. Yeah. And I think to to add to that, Nick, um, you know, obviously there, there is, there is that aspect of like, look, you are going on a reality TV. Like, yes, we're, we're adults. We're making decisions and choices. And it's so prolific right now. You know, we, there is some responsibility for like the public, you know, we can't control how the public's going to react. Right. But the difference is it's the term, it's the phrase in good faith. Right. So you go into this with good faith, understanding, yes, they're going to edit me. Yes. They're going to create a storyline. Right. But you, they, they give you, they, they sell to you um, the full understanding uh, that they're going to frame you as you actually act, right? They're going to edit it because mm-hmm. it's TV, but they're going to they're going to show who you are to the world, right? Not turn you into some Frankenstein that doesn't exist by stitching together disparate conversations from like totally different people or from like cutting up timelines so bad that food disappears and reappears on plates. Um, you know, that's, that's where the, that's where the, it needs to stop. It's, it's not editing in good faith and it's turning, it's, you're no longer your own likeness. If someone does that to you and they put that so much cutting and editing on the um, mm-hmm. cutting room floor there, you're no longer that likeness. Like they've turned you into something else. Um, and that's the issue right there. Yeah. And we know, obviously, they use the metal chalices so you can't see how far down someone's drink is. And on Bachelor, they don't even eat the food. The food's just there because, yeah, they have to edit around it. So it seems like part of the issue is the things they'll do during filming, during production to squeeze the most drama and recklessness out of you. But then there's also the fallout from a community that doesn't always get that that what you see, even when people say, but I saw them say it out of their mouths, isn't a mm-hmm. honest portrayal of who someone might be. What are you guys planning to do or what have you done within your own journey to mitigate that post-show 
um, uh, hate that you get sent right to your phones. I mean, you haven't. I, I for months to this day, uh, especially this week with with this, I am scared to pick up my phone, and I don't typically care what other people think about me. Um, I know who I am. I know I act with integrity, and I know I have values that are are good values. But it gets to you. It like whittles away at you a little bit at a time. And the the mean comments, the mean DMs, um, being called abusive, being called a narcissist, um, being called gay, which like, how is that even an insult? Those things take their toll on you. And it over time, it just wears on you. And then, you know, having gone through a very public and and kind of nasty at times divorce, I just was like, I'm, I'm just trying to live my life. And I, I'm afraid to leave. Like, do these people like really think that I'm like that? Am I going to see someone at the grocery store that's going to be like narcissist or, you know, that guy's a monster all because of, you know, what people say. It, it's just insane. One example I, I, I'll share really quick and then I'll start, stop talking. I had a friend from England that visited at the end of last summer and we went out to brunch with a couple of my friends and there was an entire Reddit thread, first of all, shaming her, second of all, saying, obviously, Nick cheated and that's why this ended, caught fire. I mean, I got an unbelievable amount of hate for that and it, and I got an unbelievable amount of mean DMs for that and it, it's just, it's like, what are people doing? But you don't, you don't, you know, you, you just kind of have to take it and you have to learn how to live with it. You've got to delete the comments is what they, they tr- uh, trained us for as, as prep, delete mean comments and block people. Okay. I think we all know how to do that. Yeah, but you're right. <laughs> it doesn't it, take away the struggle. It might be a Sunday morning. You're out to brunch. It could be anything. And you look up at your phone and the phone is where we conduct our business. It's where our social mm-hmm. lives are all mixed together and good things can come from social media, but the anonymity of commenters, it's, it's really just leads to the worst thoughts from people and the mischaracterization, feeling ostracized from your community. I, I couldn't imagine what you went through. I've only been, uh, I've only received a tiny bit of that from my online dealings, and it's 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 tough. And it's nothing like anything I've ever felt on stage doing standup. I've never, in a decade of doing standup, have had anyone talk to me the way they have in my DMs, probably on a daily basis. And some people, you know, it gives people. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say some people just don't have the tools to handle it and fly in, you know, the, the show, like I always say, they can fly too close to the sun. And at what point, as we've seen on other reality shows that have existed where people, uh, you know, have self-harm, at what point is it going to be too, is someone going to go too far and not be able to handle it? And, uh, contestants are, are screaming from the top of their lungs that they are unwell with this all. And we all need to start listening and acting. Well, I think it's, I, I want to hit on something you said where like not everyone can handle this. No one can handle it, right? And I count myself lucky for the fact that I didn't have much airtime because I didn't receive the volume of hate, right? But I did get some of it, especially after filing a lawsuit. And I can tell you even a little bit, it like it just gnaws at you. And it makes you, like Nick said, it makes you question your own reality. And this is like, you know, I, I've spent... 15 years developing a stoic practice of like, you know, meditation and being in the moment and being present and not getting caught up in emotions. Right. And how quickly these hateful comments took me out of that at, at, uh, at 1% of the volume that some of these other people get. Right. It was shocking to me and nobody can withstand that. And so I, I think like 
to people who are to people who watch these shows and have just their reactions about what's going on, I think, you know, to a lot of people, I, I understand, right? Like if 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 I saw someone suing a production company um, who I hadn't heard of, I might have thought the same thing. Like, oh, you're just in this for fame. Right. I get it. I understand that. But I would just ask that, like, look, maybe instead of like running with these assumptions, you start asking questions and you start leading with compassion and empathy instead of like the hate and and viscera that you that like just gets thrown at people like Nick. It's it's horrible to watch. Yeah. And Nick, I actually, before I knew we were going to have this conversation, I actually shared one of your Instagram reels that was kind of, yeah, it was like, Hey, here's six things you can do as an audience to kind of chill out a little bit and just watch the show, enjoy the theater and just cool down. Cause you're going to feel it. Look, if you're going to get characterized a certain way, you're going through things on the show. It's already going to suck dealing with the fallout in this season contestants. They've already got the worst. You know, everyone has their own stories of how they've had to cope with it, but the wrecking ball just does not stop at the target too much collateral damage. What would you guys do? If I gave you the keys to love is blind, what would you do tomorrow on day one of shooting to clean things up a little bit? Well, I would uh, make sure that at the very least there is no union, but I would make sure that union practices are implemented. Um, for me, the number one thing that I'm focused on uh, long-term is I want every single reality TV person to have, as I've said before, pre, during, and post mental health services independent from the production company, because I don't want them to be able to use any of that type of information to push contestants or push a narrative or manipulate. So for me, those are like the number one big things. I also think like just if love is blind is, is which I don't think it is. If it's actually a love experiment, my point to, to make here is let people go through it organically. Don't manipulate them. Don't thrust them into situations that aren't going to be in real life. Have a therapist or a mental health professional on set to jump in and teach healthy habits on how to navigate conflict instead of sitting there building toxic ones that are you're going to take with you outside of the show all because it provides them with more drama. So if it's an actual experiment, that would be where I would start. Jeremy? Yeah, Nick, that's uh, you took all the good ones. Um, <laughs> I think... Um, what I would add to that is I would I would pay people according to the worth and the revenue they're generating. Right. Um, you know, in, in the same way that scripted actors who star in, you know, hundred million dollar blockbusters get residuals like cast members need to be compensated commensurate with the revenue they're generating for these distribution and production companies. So I would start with that. Right. Just to make them feel valued and then not have them rely on what is going to be a toxic social media to try to claw back some amount of money after the fact, right? That's that's so wrong um, to make them, you know, get their money after the fact on social media by continuing to spin around this drama. So first, well, and then- you know, make the pay commensurate with scripted acting. I think that's a good baseline to start with. Um, but also just being fully transparent with everybody, like make the cast involved in part of the production process. And to Nick's point, let the storylines and the relationships develop organically and fully like talk, talk to the cast members like, Hey, this is the direction we think we're going to be going. It looks like you two have a really good connection. Do you feel the same way? Um, We'd like to go in this direction. What are your thoughts? What are your input? Right. I I think you can have a really great show that look, people are dramatic, right? We're human beings. The drama, the drama is going to be there, whether or not you force it. Um, I, I just think you can let it happen organically and do it far more ethically. 
Yeah, you know, I always say good content is information plus entertainment. They've got the entertainment down, but like the therapy sessions, uh, like and like you said, being able to coach people on what they're doing that's right or wrong or or why why certain things are toxic or coming off the wrong way. These are ways that they can grow and a giant audience can grow as well uh, throughout the process. I had to ask you this. Is there a drink uh, maximum that they've got on the show? Do they keep track of that? Uh, unlimited. No. Unlimited. Yeah. Cause bachelor had an I issue. Think there might've been one. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say bachelor had an issue and they limited it to like one an hour and, um, there's still problems with that, but it, you know, corporations, I've always said this are psychopathic. They don't care about you. And it, it comes down to people having to demand for certain rights and structure that, that leads to a healthier thing here and, and not having either, you know, what bachelor had, which was a sexual assault claim uh, because of too much drinking to the claims of that the issues of self-harm or thoughts of cr literal crying for help telling producers i need help i can't do this not only sometimes do, and i've covered this story already but not only sometimes do they not listen to you but then they edit you to look a certain way and it's dismissive of your actual feelings i can't imagine how enraging it would be to, to relive that and um, what were you going to say there uh, nick um you know on that I, for the Business Insider article, she asked me to walk through what happened in Mexico. And to be honest, I was like, I'm not sure I actually know anymore because I know what I think I experienced and I know certain things I experienced, but then when I watched on TV did not line up with that. And that's where the gaslighting kind of comes in with this stuff where you're just kind of like, I don't think that happened that way, but I remember it differently. Am I remembering it wrong? And, you know, that type of thing, it, it doesn't have to be that way. That's the point. Like, it doesn't have to be that way. And I want to add something on the, the social media or, or the residuals, however you want to say. So we made $1,000 a week. It equates to $7 and what, 24 cents an hour um, yeah, when sprawled like that, out yeah. over the course of that, right? So I haven't made a penny after the show. So they sell you this social media. You're going to make – this is – you know, uh, you'll make a million dollars a year, like all this crazy shit that they tell. Sorry, I'm not going to say that. Okay. All this stuff they tell you, like I haven't made a penny. I got laid off from my job, which I've heard through the grapevine. Part of it was related to the show and, and the out, the output afterwards. And then on top of that, like I don't have, I mean, there's no income. There is no residual income. There's still people watching Love is Blind season two. They're still profiting off of people watching that. And I might be homeless in three months. So it's like, we're, you know, it, it's, it's an illusion that they sell you of granular that, oh, you know, the celebrity status, all of the brand opportunities and all of this stuff. Well, when you don't have someone that's going to be your agent and proactively go get them, you're not getting any of that. You're not getting any, any other opportunities. And so and it's not their responsibility necessarily to, to do this, to do anything about this as it is now. But wouldn't it be something if when they say you're part of the Netflix family now, it meant something? Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a standard that they're not living up to. And as a relatively young company, I think it's time that these voices are heard, uh, especially coming from 
uh, men in the community who uh, haven't always um, been a part of a mental health conversation. So I think it's very, uh, it's it's just really great that you guys are doing this um, and um, and starting this network. Uh, before we wrap up, how can people best, how can the audience best support the work you guys are doing? So yeah, the best um, way you I, can I support, most, oh, go ahead, Nick. Okay. I would say the most important thing you can do is donate to us. We have a um, donate to the cause. We have a uh, a wealth of professional mental health professionals that are are working with us right now. We have everyone's on volunteer. There's not some magic backing to this. So right now we have a lot of volunteers that are offering to help. Um, so you know any donation helps us pay essentially. Um, these professionals for their services. Secondly, share us on social media. Um, push this, push this out there. Push the Business Insider article. Uh, awareness is going to be key, not just for um, the mistreatment and exploitation, but also for this foundation to continue to grow. Yeah, at, at, you, you hit the nail on the head, Nick. And I, I just want to reiterate: we're we're a nonprofit, and we are absolutely committed to full transparency in every dollar donated. Right? No one on the board is making a cent. We're we're fully volunteer on this. Um, in Nick and I's case, we're probably working twenty or thirty hours a week on this right now. Um, you know, it's just such an important cause to us. But it, in order for it to continue, um, you know, we need to get some grassroots funding. Yeah, I think it's great, and um, hopefully you have other some other big um, uh, reality alumni that that uh, help promote the cause. Uh, I'm going to share both of your social medias and the link to the website in the description below. Is there anything else uh, you guys want to say before we head out? Um, I would just say be kind. Um, we're all in pressure cookers all the time. Um, I have never felt so bad for so long. Um, and I can imagine other people are, are having it worse time at it. Of course, some are probably handling it better, but, um, you never know what someone's going through. So just be kind. And if there's some urge to say something bad on the internet, stop and ask yourself, is this about me or is this about them? Hmm. Well said, Jeremy. Um, I, I can't top that. Um, <laughs> I just say the same, like lead with compassion. If if you just live by that rule, you can do no wrong. Beautiful. Well said, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having hey, thanks us. Thanks for having really us, appreciate Dave. It. All right, have a good weekend. Big thanks to Nick and Jeremy for coming on to the show. Uh, make sure to follow them on Instagram. Let them know you heard them here on Bachelor Rush Hour, the podcast. And also, if you want to support the foundation, Unscripted Cast Advocacy Network. I'll post the link there below in the description. And, uh, you know, I think it's... Uh, look, I, th- I think reality cast members don't get much credit for what they go through you know someone like george clooney gets to go act in a movie then go back to their personal life but we kind of become obsessed as audience members and then when we're when we stop being obsessed we just move on and they're left to deal with all that collateral damage and uh, i think it's time we you know expose it and try to do better and try to uh, demand better from the production companies what do you think folks let me know i hope everyone has a fantastic weekend please do something i wouldn't do and then some have uh, have a drink or a diet coke or whatever it is you do for me and uh, be well we will be back monday as we are every weekday until then i've been dave neal and this was bachelor rush hour Hour.